All right, everyone. Welcome to the Endurance Nutrition Show. <laughs> Here today we have Sarah Kaufman. Um, she's the owner of K Cycling Coaching and rider for DNA Pro Cycling. So welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So, um, like we most usually do with the beginning of all our podcasts, we're going to have like a little food segment. So do you want to talk about your uh, ride fuel of choice? Yeah, I brought some Ascend drink mix, a bottle for each of you. Thank you. (laughs) This is the strawberry acai flavor. Um, I love it. I'm so glad that our team gets to use it. It's um, it's kind of a light drink, not uh, like sickly sweet like some drink mixes. Um, I like it because I think it tastes a little bit salty, and I feel like that goes down really easily on a long ride. Yeah. Um, Should we try it? Give it a try. It's all natural ingredients, no weird colors or flavors, just um, fruit, um, carbohydrate, sodium. Yeah. And these are, these are local riders. Um, it's... Mark and Allie Fliss and Carly and uh, Jamie Driscoll, um, they're all riders. Allie's a doctor. So this stuff was put together by really smart people. It is very light. It's nice. like, mm-hmm. it's cool because it's just like eating a strawberry, mm-hmm. I think. <laughs> yeah. It's not like an artificial taste. It's like, it really it tastes like you're just like chowing down on some strawberries. Yeah. I've also <laughs> like, I've always had gut issues. Uh, riding racing and um so to find something that's like i've never had a problem with my belly uh when i'm drinking this stuff so that's really nice i might have to look into that because i have a lot of gi issues (laughs) on the bike it's a challenge for sure yeah Mm -hmm. well it's delicious thanks for sharing that good yeah okay so we'll just kind of jump into things so first off how did you get into cycling i was a, a nordic ski racer in high school and um Wait, I, where are you from? Oh, I'm from Massachusetts originally. Very cool. Yep. So uh, I Nordic ski raced. I was a runner. Um, I was a pretty mediocre athlete, but I did take to Nordic skiing pretty well. And um, I had an injury in college. I tore my ACL. And I so I stopped ski racing. I kind of got into riding um, to rehab um, my knee. And then, you know, that kind of turned into more like something that I liked more. And um, I, I was, I really just rode recreationally on the road. And then um, I was able to try mountain biking and was totally hooked. Like I, I had decent fitness from, um, you know, running and, and skiing. Um, and then the, the skills portion like came pretty naturally to me. Um, so I, I fell in love with it. and. Um, that was that was probably the start so how long ago was that that was like uh 2004 um and i when i started getting into mountain bikes i got into like uh ultra endurance stuff like 24-hour solo races and some hundred milers um i really just wanted like to do the hardest thing that i could was what pulled me in and i definitely burned myself out on that over the years and um kind of have found like stage racing and cross-country racing and that kind of thing but um at the beginning it was just like wanting to do um like wanting to kill myself (laughs) (laughs) which gets old after a bit yeah so when did you when did you transition to the 
cross country and the shorter stuff? Um, it kind of happened over time, I guess, because I like I I started mixing in some cross country races here and there when I was still doing the long stuff, and then um, I think I did my last twenty four hour in two thousand and nine. So then I was kind of more into shorter stuff, and then like I did a couple years really kind of just doing cross country after that, and now I would say I kind of mix it up and do. Um, like more of a mix but I in 2007 I did um, 24 hours in the old Pueblo and that was kind of a turning point for me because I won the race and I really really it was just a total shock I had like no aspirations to win it no expectation to win it and so when I did that was kind of like I had a, I actually had a job offer at the time to um that would have necessitated like kind of giving up riding or, or racing more seriously. And when I won that race, I was just like, I'm not ready to let this go yet. And so um, that's when I kind of, I decided that year to see if I could get my, my professional license. And so um, then I kind of got more serious about riding and racing. Nice. Yeah. So was all of this, did you, cause Old Pueblo's down in Arizona, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So were you, like racing and learning to mountain bike in Massachusetts or no. did you move down this way? <laughs> I, I, I grew up in Massachusetts. I went to college in Maine and then I moved to, um, to San Francisco after college. I lived in San Francisco for three or four years and that's when I got introduced to mountain biking. Um, nice. and then I had this job offer and that it was back, it was actually back in Vermont. And so that was my intention was that I'm going to move back East and, um, kind of have this more serious job. And, um, but I was like, well, on the way, I'll just take my time and drive across country and ride some cool trails on the way. And I got to, um, Nevada to these trails outside Vegas called bootleg Canyon. Mm -hmm. And, um, from there, I think I went and did, I was staying outside of Vegas and I went and did the old Pueblo race. And then when I kind of made that decision, I turned on this job. I went back to Bootleg Canyon and I just kind of stayed there for a while. And then I, I kind of bounced around from California, um, Nevada, Colorado, and then I ended up here in, um, 2009. Nice. Yeah. What made you want to stay here? Anything in particular? Riding. <laughs> yeah. It's just too good. Yeah. I mean, I, I love Massachusetts. I love home. But um, the, like, recreation opportunities out here are pretty hard to compete with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's true. It's awesome. Yeah. So were you living just on, like, professional cycling income? <laughs> or like <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> um, no, I was, like... Um, I was working in bike shops. I was working as a substitute teacher. Um, what else did I do? I did a lot of like odd jobs. I mean, I lived in a tent in the summer. <laughs> I would like, you know, rent a room here and there. Like it was a pretty, um, dirtbag lifestyle, which, you know, it got old <laughs> after a while. So my, when I moved here to Utah, I was like, all right, time to like find a job that's a bit more stable. And, um, and that's what I did. I, I worked for a company up in Ogden called Elite Electrolytes. I don't even think they're around anymore, but, um, they were really accommodating as far as, um, letting me, like, I, I worked basically full time, but I, I had hours that allowed me to train and I could, you know, take long weekends to go race and, and that kind of thing. So it, it, it worked for me to kind of continue riding and racing um but 
not be such a dirtbag. <laughs> yeah. I could afford an apartment. And <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. That's a very adventurous <laughs> kind of uh, journey into mountain bike racing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, and then when did you start your coaching business? I, um, you know, it kind of happened organically. Uh, like people kind of started asking me, people just want to know what you're doing, I guess. Um, and so people would ask me about my training and, and could I coach them? And I was, uh, I was always just like, I'm not a coach. I don't, um, but you know, more people kind of kept asking me. And, um, so I started kind of helping people design training programs for themselves. And then, um, I decided, you know, I really enjoyed it. Um, and so I kind of decided to try and do that more formally. And so I did work, um, with another or for another local coach. Um, and then in 2017, I started my own coaching business and, um, it's been really cool to, to do it under my own brand. It's, um, you know, there are challenges owning your own business that like when you work for someone else, you don't have to deal with some mm-hmm. of the garbage of owning a business, but um, it's also really satisfying to, to do it, to, you know, have it be my own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so one thing we were kind of curious about, like as women athletes ourselves, and you have a lot of experience is, um, so a lot of women struggle with like overtraining. A lot of women athletes struggle with like overtraining and under eating. And um, have you ever struggled with something like that? Or if you if you've had an athlete, how would you address something like that? Yeah, I've certainly struggled with it myself. Um, I got mono in um, I guess 2012, which was probably the result of like years of overtraining. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I certainly see it with. Um, with women and what's tricky is that it's often like the same traits that um, make people excel as athletes that like um, a little bit obsessive um, very type a um, kind of consistently wanting to like do a little bit more on the workouts hit hit a little bit over the power targets um, you know also wants (laughs) to (laughs) totally I mean look I think we all have a a streak of it yeah um and it's just like, how long does it go on? How much to the extreme? Um, that kind of thing. But those qualities are, you know, the same thing that will get people into trouble. And like, mm-hmm. I see it, I see it in both men and women, certainly more in women. And I almost like, I feel like at this point I can like predict it. Cause what I see more than anything else is like that, um, second or third year professional woman who has had like a really steady, um, growth and improvement and it's she's training hard um you know eating healthy but possibly you know on the verge of underfueling, um and it gets to a point usually in the second or third year of um where it's not sustainable and there's a crash and then unfortunately it's like she thinks those behaviors that helped her succeed um well now i just need to train harder and um or cut back you know on food more um, and so it's just, it's a, it's a pretty rough cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, and it takes years to come back from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, as far as the, the women that I coach, um, I try to just keep the lines of communication really open. Um, I certainly feel like there's been women who've come to me who are like already on the borderline. Um, 
I haven't worked with someone who has been like in a really, really deep hole. Mm -hmm. Um, but I've definitely worked with people who are on the edge or I feel like could have gotten there if left unchecked, unchecked. Um, but I, I mean, it is, it's also really tricky because I think a lot of these behaviors are, um, really deeply personal mm -hmm. and people don't want to talk about it. Um, and like a lot of the times if I, as a coach, like I might have a sense that someone is doing these things. Um, but if I try to bring it up, they're like, um, like I'll say, you know, what did you eat before your ride or something like that? And they're like, oh yeah, I ate this and you know, it's fine. Um, they really try to brush it off. So I feel like my best bet is to just be really clear about um, what works long term with an athlete in terms of training volume and um, fueling mm -hmm. um, and to be really available for them to talk to me and to point them to resources. I mean, because at the end of the day, I'm not a dietitian, mm -hmm. um, but I can certainly point them to people who um, who are. And, um, you know, I can talk about my own experiences um, and try to set a good example. And, you know, we've talked about the book Roar, like I would refer people to that. Mm -hmm. um, so I try to educate people. I don't want to make someone uncomfortable with these really deeply personal issues, but I would also, um, you know, I think if someone were really not willing to listen or change, then I would just have to not coach them. Mm -hmm. I, I don't want to be along for that ride. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. I think, I mean, that's something that I think is really interesting because I think a lot of people, like you said, a lot of athletes are kind of maybe a little bit more type A, <laughs> a little bit more intense about their training, and that kind of translates to a lot of different areas of life. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, I mean, as a woman I that's been an athlete for a long time, that's something, and I studied nutrition, like it's something I try to be really aware of is like how much am I eating am I getting enough food am I am I fueling myself properly and because I at least can <laughs> test I I think in the past I've liked to overtrain quite a bit mm -hmm. so it's something that I've um really like in the past couple of years try to learn how to rein oh, in no. <laughs> <laughs> I hope he got it <laughs> We, we had a little sandwich oh, no. and the dog had <laughs> the dog a little treat. <laughs> and I wish that was on the camera. <laughs> I know. Oh my gosh. Oh, That's uh, a good way to lighten things up. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, I was a real downer, but no, no. I I really appreciate it because I think I think it's important for people, you know, to to really learn as an, someone who studied nutrition. I think it's really important for people to learn and understand how essential fueling, proper fueling is to athletic performance. Yeah. I mean, it's not it's not just women. I would say it's certainly more common in women, but uh -huh. men too. And, yeah. um, you know, I think Stacey Sims has done a pretty amazing job of educating people. Um, and, you know, I kind of envy, like, uh, <laughs> those of you who are a little bit younger and getting into this stuff now, like that information was not available 10 years ago, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so even, it's, it's really cool. Even a few years ago, totally. you know, there yep. was not a lot of resources yeah. specific yeah. to women athletes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and issues of um, relative energy deficiency. And mm -hmm. I just I brought this copy of the book 
Um, oops, I'm so not covering it up. <laughs> but <laughs> so you've read Roar. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's so many awesome things in there. But do you have anything in the book that really stood out to you that's helped you? Um, or your athletes? Yeah, there are <laughs> there are so many things, and I do like all the women that I coach. I I refer them to that book. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say the the stuff. Well, at least what pops into my head immediately is like the um, really specific protocols that she gives for like the week before you start your cycle mm-hmm. has really helped me. And just being aware, like I I I have tracked my cycle for years, but um, not necessarily with anything more than just tracking it now that I know what's actually going on in my body and what I can expect Mm -hmm. you know it's like when you feel crappy for a week um if you're not aware that um oh this is like something that I can expect and it's not a big deal um if you just think you're you feel crappy for a week like as an athlete that can be really kind of alarming yeah yeah and I really like how she points out that that the day you start your period is like your hormones are the lowest where you're actually going to be performing the best so then rather it 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 like flips a switch so rather than like oh I'm on my period like rather than using that as an excuse like now you're like oh my gosh I have the best performance benefits (laughs) like I'm gonna go out and crush some intervals (laughs) yeah (laughs) seriously I feel like I really celebrate my period now (laughs) like for a lot of different reasons but that's That's one of them That's right. Just changing the context is pretty powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Going back to what you had said about the specific protocol before, like the week before you start your period, do you recall what that is? Um, Gosh, I don't remember the exact numbers, but it's like um, fish oil, magnesium, zinc, and baby aspirin. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't remember the the numbers. Okay. Um, We can put that on the... Yeah. (laughs) Afterwards. But it's really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. What type of benefits have you noticed from that? Because I actually, I read about that, but I haven't implemented it myself. Um, I would just say like a general dulling of those kind of premenstrual symptoms. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Now you have something to look forward to. Yeah. We'll try (laughs) that out and then see what, see how that helps. Mm -hmm. So... One thing I was curious about is what is kind of your fueling strategy going into races? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I would say the thing (laughs) that I've learned is um, I do have, like, specific things that I try to follow. But honestly, it seems like as soon as you figure out and you're like, oh, I've got this nailed, like, I know what I need to do, then your body's like, oh, no, sorry, (laughs) it's not going to work this time. (laughs) Yeah, so, like, not being married to a specific plan. Mm -hmm. Um, I, for races, I generally use, like, some kind of blocks, either goose or, um, or cliff blocks and ascend mix I always use ascend mix Mm -hmm. even like I will destroy a camelback (laughs) so that I can have it in a race I I I usually like I'll just put water in for training but for a race it's worth it um I it's hard for me to eat like more complex food in a race even if it's long um although in the last few years like the longest races I've done are four and a half maybe five hours Mm -hmm. um so yeah blocks and ascend um, for training, I definitely will use more fuel, but uh, more food, but, um, but still like I always take blocks. I always take a send, but maybe like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich too or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. That's how, that's how I kind of, well, 
I mean, it's nice, though, like, all those quick energies, it's just nice to, like, have them in the cupboard and, like, on the day-to-day, it's just like, oh, well, I only have time to just grab yeah. these things, but Saturdays, I usually try to to make something that's a little bit more substantial yeah. <laughs> if I'm going out on a oh, really okay. long ride. It's hard to just have, like, sickly sweet stuff um, mm-hmm. for the whole ride, I, and it's like you know when you're out there for many hours like I don't, that gets pretty boring it's nice to feel like oh I'm gonna have a sandwich at the top of this climb or mm-hmm. something like that I've just I started doing per the suggestion of my brother like those uncrustable sandwiches there you go <laughs> yeah and they're awesome you like pull them out of the freezer they kind of keep you cool in the back a little bit and then by the time yeah, you right. eat it it's all thawed out nice do you have a most memorable race? <laughs> That's what I was um, thought so. Yeah. <laughs> and I like I saw that question, I was like, man, they're all so good. Um I would say like when I think about like race excitement, like I I think about like the World Cup races I've done, like mm-hmm. nothing will top that. It's it's just wild to stand there on the start line with these like you know, the best in the world, mm-hmm. even if I'm not gonna see them for the rest of the race. Mm-hmm. Um but in terms of like uh, looking back, like the most fulfilling experiences, like um, I got to race a couple times in Vietnam and in Guatemala doing stage races, and those were just, you know, the racing, the experience was like a lot more than the race, just mm-hmm. to see these cultures and get to ride in these places. Um, like I've told this story about the race in Guatemala. There's we would do and actually this is for food related so Mm. it's appropriate but um we did this like super steep loose descent um kind of like a corkscrew down to this riverbed and then at the bottom was water crossing and then you have to go up like the equivalent um steep list thing on the other side and it's it's hike a bike but um so it's this kind of remote village the children are not used to seeing like people in lycra (laughs) and these bikes but but every year these people come through so they come down to the river and they want to push your bike up the hill and they push your bike up the hill and they're like dulce dulce they want candy Mm -hmm. but what they mean is like the the goose and the blocks (laughs) and stuff that you have in your pocket yeah so they just expect that the race so i'm like giving them all my blocks i'm like i don't have i don't have any left but my point is like experiences like that are that has meant the most like that that was the really cool stuff that's awesome what race was that it's called um what is it called uh ruta del quetzal yeah it's a five day in in guatemala yeah that sounds like a blast (laughs) it was it was pretty wild I'm like squinting. Do you in a race like that? In a race situation like that, do you have a hard time getting the fuel that you need? Um, do you have to bring it with you? Yeah, I would mostly bring stuff. But you know, like in these places, are you okay? <laughs> do you want my sunglasses? No, I'm okay. <laughs> the sun is moving. Um, uh, I mostly brought stuff, but they—I mean, like they're well-supported races. Like mm-hmm. if I didn't have, if I hadn't brought stuff. I would have been able to find it. I mean, if you walk into a bike shop, like they have stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but like being a little bit of a um, controlling, obsessive racer, then I would. I always just brought stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, were you staying in? Did you have kitchens or like? We no, we were in hotels, and it's like, like I, what about your meal? Like, were you able to get like? 
have stuff for meals that you brought? Or? They, it was like communal style, like in a big hall, and they would provide a dinner. And it was oh, always, that's nice. it was good <laughs> food. Yeah. And like, you know, these are things that I knew people who'd done the race before, so I would ask them like what I could expect. Um, in Vietnam, we were, I'm trying to remember, that was like we were going out to restaurants. Mm-hmm. Um, and definitely for both of those, I like had a talk with myself beforehand that was like, okay, you're going to let go of these, like, I have to eat this and this after or before the race or whatever. Like you just can't in Mm -hmm. the, you know what I mean? Um, and, and also like you won't have the same experience if you try to do that. Mm -hmm. You like part of it is to just like roll with the punches and eat this weird food. And, Mm -hmm. um, it worked (laughs) out. I mean, I'm trying to, I got really, oh, in Vietnam, I got really sick. But that was after the race, so uh-huh. <laughs> it didn't matter. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> but, like, yeah, it's a risk. Uh-huh. Um, but to me, it was worth it. I wanted to eat the food and have the whole experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember this one race we did. It was a stage race, and it was a hill climb. And that stage was a hill climb, and I ate, like, so much fried rice. <laughs> like, I thought I was going to throw up <laughs> right before the race. I had eaten it. Like, I had, like, an hour. Oh, no. And do you remember that? What <laughs> race Baker? was it? Yeah. Was it Baker? Oh. Yeah, it was at Baker. And, um, but I felt so good during the race. <laughs> I was like, I must have needed that. <laughs> really? Yeah. Totally. So. That's awesome. Yeah, it's kind of funny. <laughs> and there's a vote for just listening to your body, right? Mm-hmm. It'll tell you what you need. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Especially in the middle of a stage race, I feel like you just need calories at mm-hmm. that point. So yeah. it's like, just eat something. <laughs> but I remember that whole weekend, just it just felt like I wasn't getting enough food. And in general, just there wasn't, there weren't a lot of restaurants really. And so that's, that's why I kind of wondered okay. about, yeah. <laughs> I was like, were, were you able to? <laughs> yeah, um, we were. I mean, yeah, the race in Guatemala, they were feeding us. I mean, like at BC Bike Race, they were feeding us. The, I mean, I guess all the stage races I've done, um, Transylvania, Quebec, they were feeding us. But, um, yeah, in Vietnam, I think there were just always restaurants. Yeah. It, Yum. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, for the most part, they know, like, um, people are going to want to eat a lot if they're racing their bike every day. So yeah. they try to yeah. kind of keep you covered. Yeah. Yeah. But. Cool. I think that's yeah. Vietnamese. It's yeah. actually one of my favorite things to eat before a race because it's like lots of liquids, lots of carbohydrates, salt. <laughs> some salt. Yeah. Well, it's funny. They eat it as breakfast there. Oh, yeah. It's like traditional breakfast. breakfast. <laughs> there you go. Perfect. So, yeah. Sweet. And these are these are mountain bike stage races then? Yeah. Yep. So how long is, is each stage um, usually? They're... It, it, well, in terms of mileage, it really varies depending on the terrain. Um, usually, I would say 20 to 50 miles. So it's kind of a range, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but it depends on the race, depends on the the day, like some are longer. I want to say BC Bike Race has some longer stages, but they're mostly short. Um, they, like the, the lead women, we were, it was usually like two to three and a half hours. I would say of racing on these. And those are like five days? Um, it varies. The one in Vietnam was a three day, Guatemala was five days, mm-hmm. BC is seven, Quebec is six, Transylvania is seven. So it varies. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. 
what is it like being on on DNA on cycling or and yeah um, how long have you been on so that? this is my second year on the team um, I have known Kathy and Alex who own and manage the team for years um, probably since I moved to Utah um, and I want to say seven years ago they had put together a women's road team mm -hmm. and I, I always I was always a fan of the team um, and fans of those guys and I, I love DNA I love I mean I was wearing the clothing and I, I know the people that own the company and they're great um, and then I I guess three years ago I noticed that um, they were kind of stepping into some gravel racing and I was like and I had been on the stands team for years and I stopped. I, I wasn't on a team for um, 2018, I guess. And I noticed that they were kind of stepping into some gravel, and I was like, well, maybe they want to mm -hmm. step into some mountain bike racing because they also have um, Katie Klaus, who races mm -hmm. mountain bike. Um, and and so, uh, you know, I went to them and asked if they were interested, and, and they were, and it's been really fun to be on the team. And it's, it's, it's funny for me because a lot of the, the time I'm traveling by myself, I don't – get to to travel with the girls on the team that much but um you know like we have team camp and I'll see them there and um get to follow them on social media and be fans of them and and is that just because they're more road focused they're, and they're more mountain focused? yeah road they're road and gravel mm -hmm. for the most part um you know Katie and I were at nationals together last year mm -hmm. um but yeah for the most part they're road and gravel um, but yeah, I mean, Kathy and Alex have done a lot in the local cycling community and the broader cycling community. Um, and, and DNA also has, um, you know, put a lot of resources into our local cycling community. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they definitely support a lot of local um, race series. And yeah, it's like you can't go to a race in Utah without their mm -hmm. support. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Cool. And then we also wanted to know what your personal ph nutrition philosophy is. Yeah, um, this one's funny because <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, I feel like I've tried everything, like every dietary dogma that's out there, um, and I feel like I'm at my healthiest, and I would say now it's just like, um, I've, you know, at 38 years old, I finally just learned how to listen to my body and <laughs> it really would have been cool to learn that yeah. like 20 years ago or before that. Um, but yeah, I think it's really, there's so like, it's like religion, the way that, um, people like will follow a certain, um, diet mm -hmm. or way of eating. And, um, it's easy to like want to fit in this box, I think. Um, but at the end of the day, I, it's just really hard for me to believe that there's one right way that's going to work for everyone. And, mm -hmm. um, it's hard to really tap into your body and listen to what it's telling you. And especially cause like those cues aren't always like instantaneous or really clear. Um, so it definitely takes a lot of work to, um, listen to your body. But ultimately I think that's, um, yeah, I would say my, my dietary philosophy is more like there's no one right answer. And, um, really try to listen to your body and figure out what works for you mm -hmm. yeah that's pretty pretty sound advice i'd say thanks from the nutritionist <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i that's what i do i yeah i i'm i'm not as type a as like some athletes i kind of struggle actually with a lot of structure and like being told what to do so for me the whole like listen to your body has 
has been really kind of empowering like if I want to eat you know some junk (laughs) like for me that actually makes me feel better like getting that those higher calories in and so and what about what about you um (laughs) I used to be like really good about (laughs) eating a lot of vegetables and now since getting married like my husband actually likes eating lots of french fries so lately <laughs> i've been eating lots of french fries <laughs> to be, just being completely honest yeah. so but I, love but, that. <laughs> but I will say i also have been eating a lot more but i my weight always stays the same no matter what i eat so i kind of just try to eat just a lot of food. Yeah. So <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I feel like you listen to your body well, though, because you know for you, like, you have to eat meat after a ride. Like, it makes you feel, you know right. what I mean? Yeah. Versus, yeah. like, like you know that that's what makes you feel good, so you eat that, you know? I think for me, I went through a period of time where I, I didn't necessarily think that I was under eating, but looking back, I definitely was because I thought, like, oh, you have to be this certain weight to be this fast, you know? And then this past maybe year and a half, I've actually started, like, tracking my macros to make sure, like, okay, are you actually getting enough calories and enough protein and enough fat and enough carbohydrates for what you're asking your body to do? And that's been a huge change for me. Like, I feel like I have so much more energy. I feel like I recover a lot more quickly. And I gained probably five pounds, but I feel so much stronger. Yeah. So I feel like sometimes... I'm sometimes I feel like women especially I'm sure men are the same way but like you think oh I have to be this weight to be fast or something you know and so it's like putting on that weight can seem a little bit scary but I actually feel like it's improved my performance yeah for sure I have those conversations (laughs) with people yeah yeah it's um and usually once they see the watts come up then they they buy in a little bit Mm -hmm. yeah they need a little bit of proof and then Mm -hmm. they're like okay (laughs) I believe it yep cool so uh, to finish things off, we just have some rapid fire okay. <laughs> random questions. So, question one Do you prefer salty or sweet? Oh man, <laughs> I like everything. <laughs> it just depends on my mood. Like, chips are so good, but so is candy. So, I don't know. Ascend is the best of both worlds. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't do or I'll say sweet. I, I definitely have a sweet tooth. Okay. Yeah. Uh, if you could eat one thing for the rest of your life, what would it be? <laughs> oh, man. Is this, like, based on um, being healthy or just, like, <laughs> whatever you think? Probably ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> Nutritionally sound ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. Okay. Um, what's your favorite bike workout? Um... I mean, it's not a structured ride, but um, I just to go on a long mountain bike ride, mm-hmm. um, like on technical trails or. Um, but as far as like a structured workout, I really like kind of over under workouts that mm-hmm. you know the intervals are changing. Um, yeah. Nice. Kind of over under. Emily and I are gonna do one of those today. All right. Yeah, just later a today. Hours. Awesome. <laughs> Emily's nervous. <laughs> I'm nervous. That's fine. <laughs> They're fine. Well, I'm just nervous because it's like, 
it's like FTP watts and then like 125% it's like, like back and forth, back and forth for a long it's time. Like so F- I'm like, oh, I'm yeah. nervous. <laughs> FTP. Yeah. VO2. Okay. That's hard. <laughs> so yeah. over overs. Yeah. <laughs> over, over. <laughs> yeah. Nice. I don't know the terminology. I just <laughs> see it on the paper. Anyways. Okay. Um, what's our next one? Have you picked up any new skills or hobbies during the quarantine? You know, I <laughs> like to say I wanted to. Um, <laughs> uh, I have been breaking, baking bread with everyone else. Um, I have been working on uh, mountain bike skills. Like, I, that's my little spot right over there. Um, I just, like, do little drills on my mountain bike. I'm, I had shoulder surgery in September, and so, like, I would love to be uh, – learning or working on drops and stuff but um one I'm healing an injury and two I don't want to be in a hospital right now so Mm um uh practice like lower speed skills on the ground yeah yeah nice cool and then um what's your favorite thing about Utah um like I said the the um opportunities for recreation the trails the access the skiing Mm -hmm. uh yeah the mountains. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to beat. Yeah, it yeah. really is. And then the last ones. Oh, the last one is just kind of your final parting thoughts for anyone listening. If you could say one thing that stood out, what would you say? Um, thanks for having me. It's cool <laughs> to see a, a women-run podcast taking off. Um, you guys doing this. I'm excited to see where it goes. It's really cool. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. We are, too. Yeah. So, yeah. So for anyone listening, um, you can follow Sarah at is it K Cycling Coaching, mm-hmm. and then just go follow go find her on Instagram and and she, I think you have a website too. Uh, right? Yep, for kcyclingcoaching dot com. Yeah. yeah, Facebook, Instagram, and yeah. Twitter actually, but I I don't do as much. <laughs> and and just just be sure to subscribe subscribe to podcast whether it's YouTube or or uh, whichever podcast platform you listen to. So. All right. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) Thanks for coming.